day. It is next Sunday. So if you were part of that, want to be uh, next Sunday, they'll be doing the viewing of centuries uh, of last year's play. So that's next week. Um, today we do have new to the bar, so come out and join us. Uh, and also men, uh, I'm going to be starting a, a, my small group back up here in a few weeks. Uh, we meet on Tuesday nights. Um, I encourage you, you want to you grow. You want to increase your walk. You want to, I'm telling you, come out and be part of that. I've got to sign up in the back. But, well, are you ready, guys? Yeah, let's try it again. You ready, 11 a.m.? Uh, I, I want to say uh, hi to our Facebook audience, man. Welcome. Uh, if you ever get a chance to visit us, uh, there is nothing like it in person. Amen. There we go. Hey, welcome to week three of Resolution Road. Uh, week one, we opened up saying this. Listen, you, you want a life at, uh, of lasting change, of lasting transformation. It starts with what? Yes. yes. Saying yes. Thank you, Craig. Uh, rest of you, I'm really disappointed in you. Uh, but it starts with yes. Saying yes. Yes, God. Uh, whenever God whispers, yes. Whenever God speaks, yes. Last week, we talked about the process. That real transformation starts when we surrender our will for God's will. Uh, in fact, John Ortberg said it best. He said, surrender is the glad and voluntary acknowledgement that there is a God and it's not me. That there's a God and it's not me. Uh, today, I want to talk about is it possible to end your life, to close out your life, be at the last stage of your life, and be able to look back and say, I have no regrets? If that's possible, would anybody want to know about it? Come, I'm the only one with the regrets. Y'all are very good liars. Um, Everybody, we've all got something, man. We, we, we've got some regrets, some things in, in our life. So today, I, I want to talk about that. Uh, and people say, well, Kelly, that's impossible. Well, not according to the Word of God. In my studies, man, I just, a scripture just came out to me that made me look at some things different. So today, I want us to look at closer at something that, in my opinion, is very misunderstood. Not just in the church world, in society altogether. It's very understood, and we'll get to that in a minute, uh, but I want to set the day's message up with a joke. Uh, I got this from Chris Lund. I did edit it uh, to make it shareable at church. Uh, so but, uh, there was a guy that got this parrot as a gift, and, and this parrot was, it was a terrible bird. I mean, it, it was rude, it was mean, it would bite at you. It, and then the worst part, though, it would hurl profanities. I mean, at the mis, most mis, unopportune time, just hurl out these profanities. And so the guy's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach this with love. I'm going to reach this bird with love. He would be nice to the bird no matter what. He would talk softly to the bird no matter what. But the bird just kept on. And one day, the guy had enough. The bird was just being mean, ruled, hurling out these profanities. And the guy just throws up his hands. He grabs the bird, the parrot, walks over to the freezer, opens the freezer, shoves it in the freezer. The thing is screaming, squawking, and he closes the freezer and walks away. You can hear it, the parrot over there just going crazy. Well, after about two minutes, 
it got really quiet. The guy's like, I have killed this gifted parrot that someone has given me. So he goes over, he opens up the freezer, and there's that parrot. And he says, kind sir, I would like to apologize for my behavior. I know I've been rude, and you have just been nothing but nice to me. I've, I, I've hurled profanities, and I've said some things, and I would ask that you would forgive me, and I promise I will not be uh, uh, a problem to you from this day out. The guy was amazed what brought about such change. And he holds his arm out, and the parrot walks up. And before he could say what brought about the change, the parrot goes, may I ask you a question, though, sir? He said, yes. He said, what did the turkey do? <laughs> Come on. Today we're going to talk about repentance. Repentance. Now let me say this. Confession is not repentance. In fact, Reverend Eugene Bolton said it bad. He said, best. He said, confession without repentance is just bragging. But the truth is, we, we don't talk, it's very misunderstood the word repentance because we don't like to talk about it because we, as a society, we don't want anybody to be uncomfortable, right? We, God forbid anybody be uncomfortable. So we, we don't want to be uncomfortable. It, it's uncomfortable for us to really face or deal with our own issues in life, Right? It's uncomfortable to stay in a marriage when it's a whole lot easier just to walk away and try again later. Come on. It's uncomfortable to stand up for what you believe in because of the huge PC society that we're living in right now. It's uncomfortable. So we, we don't want anybody to be uncomfortable in fact, the whole goal of life is to be happy. Let's just stay positive. Happy, happy, happy. And, and, and so we don't talk about repentance. We don't talk about anything associated with it. But the reality is this. So many of us are not experiencing lasting life change, lasting transformation, because we don't understand what true repentance is and what it means. Uh, so if we're going to talk about repentance. I think it's important that we know what we're talking about, right? So let's, let me tell you, start out by telling you what repentance is not. Repentance is not simply being sorry for your sin. Repentance is not denying it and then covering it up. Repentance is not just promising that you won't sin anymore. Uh, repentance is not God beating you up over your sin. Repentance is not you feeling really, really bad about what you did. Although I will say this, sometimes it can feel that way. Come on now. But, but that's not repentance. So we're going to look at it, what it is, and how repentance can let us look back on a life and say, I have no regrets. If you got a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 3. If you don't know where I'm going to put it on the screen, I'm going to be in two or three different places in the Bible today. Uh, but the, the, the chapter right before 3, Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter, man, it preaches his very first sermon. And get this. Peter's very first sermon, he gives an altar call, 3,000 people get saved. First message. That's setting the bar high. I think, hey, let's start out with two. That way I'm not disappointed next week when 3,000 don't get saved. You know what I mean? 
But that 3,000 people, well, they, then they go from there, and in Acts chapter 3, they're going to the temple to pray, and, and as they're going to the temple, they have to pass through one of the many gates. This gate is called Beautiful. Well, on that particular day, uh, at that particular gate, there's a lame man there begging for money. And the Bible is very clear. It says, this guy has been lame from birth. He's never walked a day in his life. He's had that problem his whole life. And so they're walking by that day, and the man is doing what he has done every other day, asking, begging for money. And so Peter looks at him and says, hey, listen, I don't ever carry cash on me. Um, come on, I've heard y'all say that. Don't act like it. Uh, but he doesn't use those words, and here's what he says, Acts 3, 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter reaches down, picks this guy, this guy for the first time in his life, stands on his own two feet. For the first time in this man's life, he's not having to depend, depend upon somebody to carry him from one place or the other. And I love this because as Peter and them go into the temple, the Bible, you read it, it says this man literally, because of what has just happened, he has got his arms around Peter as Peter goes in. He's excited. It's almost like whatever he has, I want. Whatever took place here, I want. And it made, as I was reading this, it made me wonder, church, how many people do we pass every day that are sitting there, standing there behind the counter at your gas station, at work, sitting there at a desk, that they're asking for one thing, but we just pass them by instead of saying, hey, I don't have that, but I've got what you need. And I wonder if we ever began to say yes to the whispers of God, if we might find somebody in their life saying, whatever you got, I want. I want because of what I just experienced. And that, that was free. Let's continue. So they head on to the temple. This guy's with them. Everybody watching on knows the story of this man. They've seen him there every day. They know he can't walk. They, they've probably given him money every now and then. And now they see him walking. He, they, they knew his parents. But something else, though, is, is you need to understand about who Peter's getting ready to talk to. The people that are looking on at this miracle are the same people that just weeks before, a few days before, were saying, give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus, kill Jesus, give us Barabbas. And that's who he's getting ready to, to speak to. And Peter looks at these people that are standing there amazed at this miracle. And here's what he says to them, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Here he goes. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, asked that a murderer be released. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. In other words, Peter said, this isn't hearsay. We saw it ourselves. 
We know it happened. And then look, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and you knew, you know God healed and made him strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Now, if you study Peter's life and you hear the response of how he's talking to these people, it would be easy to come to the conclusion Peter's just laying into them. I mean, come on, this is the same Peter that cut a guy's ear off. Same Peter that denied Christ three times. So it's easy to see, man, he's just laying into these guys. But the next verse shows us the transformation of Peter's heart. Look what Peter says to them after that. Repent. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Don't miss the power of that verse. Peter looks at this group of people and said, listen, in light of what you've done, in light of you being responsible for the killing of my best friend, in light of your past, I beg of you, repent. Turn back to God so that he can refresh you. Here's what I know as we go into week three. Of, we're in the third week of 2020. There are people in this room, you are dry, you are weary, your, your marriage is on the rocks, your health, you're, you're, and you just, you're just have nothing to give. You've, you've got nothing, and you need a fresh wind of God to blow into your life. You need a fresh wind of God to blow into your marriage, into your health, into your life. I will say this. The only way that breakthrough is going to happen, the only way that time of refreshing is going to happen is when we begin to live in what the Bible calls an attitude of repentance. Peter looked at these people. He said, repent. Turn to God. The Greek word used there for repent is metanoia. It literally means a changed mind. A changed mind. If you're taking notes, and I highly encourage you to, you need to know this about repentance. Repentance is a changed mind. One of the things you'll find when you study the Bible is repentance, it, it is a, an essential thing to salvation. You cannot bypass repentance for salvation. You, you understand me? Uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'll show you something. In Paul's second letter to the church here at Corinth, Paul is laying down some hard truths. He's talking to them about some things that must change, not just them, but in their culture. And, and, and he, he start, he, he's talking to people that they started out, man, their faith walk strong. But somewhere along the line, their theology gets messed up. That, that sound familiar? Somewhere along the line, they get a distorted theology. So, and, and they start sleeping with each other. They, they, they're teaching wrong theology. And they find themselves way off course from where the, Paul started. And Paul hears about what's going on. And I want you to look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, starting with verse 8. Paul says, listen, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. Because I saw that it hurt you. But I only regret it for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry. Not because your feelings were hurt. But because your sorrow led you to what? 
repentance. Pay close attention to Paul's next sentence. For you became sorrowful as God, what? Contrary to popular belief, there are times that God actually intends for you to be sorrowful. Are you hearing me? There are times when God actually intends for you to experience sorrow. Why? Because here's what I know. There are some things that need to be done in you that only come through a time of sorrow. I'm going to tell you, some, some of the biggest spurts of growth in my life occurred when I was in the middle of hell. And I was coming out, working my way out of it. When I was going through a big crisis, God wants to use that. But when it comes to sorrow, you also need to understand, not just any kind of sorrow does this. Paul, Paul explains this in verse 10. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and does what? Godly sorrow brings repentance. That repentance leads to salvation, and that leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Paul said there's two sorrows. When you sin, when you mess up, there are two kinds of sorrows. There's godly sorrow. It's a good thing. That sorrow produces something. Uh, God produces something in you. But then there's worldly sorrow. That destroys you from the inside out and it brings death. There's a huge difference between the two. Let me break it down. Worldly sorrow is your, you view your sin from your perspective. Worldly sorrow. Here's what I mean. The consequences of your sin, they're just a frustration and inconvenience to you more than anything. You're not, you're not really sorry. I mean, you're sorry you got caught. You're sorry about the consequences. But it doesn't lead you to repentance. Judas, perfect example. Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, he sees what his actions did leads Jesus to death. Ju Judas is sorrowful. But it's worldly sorrow. And it leads him down a hole to where he ends up committing suicide. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Then there's godly sorrow. And I tell you, that's the good stuff. Here's godly sorrow. You view your sin from God's perspective. It's when you sin, when you mess up and you blow it, you recognize it. And it's like, God, I don't want to break your heart. God, I don't want to do something that builds a wedge in between me and you. God, I don't want, and then you allow that sorrow to begin to change and transform your mind about what you did and why you did it. And you, when you view it through the eyes of God himself, you recognize that that thing, that sin, that is what's keeping you from the intimacy you really long for with God. And you're like, God, I don't want anything in between us. Repentance, metanoia, changed mind. It also has other meanings, metanoia. It means a change of your paradigm, a change of your worldview, a change of your behavior. So repentance is this, a changed mind that leads to changed behavior. Leads to changed behavior. Sister Hazel, I, I used to love this group still. They're still on my, my, in my uh, iTunes list. They had a song called uh, uh, Change, if you want to change your mind. It said, if you want to be somebody else, 
If you're tired of fighting battles with yourself, if you want to be somebody else, change your mind. Simple enough, right? How many know it's not that simple to change your mind? Change the way you think. Change the way you process stuff. I'm here to tell you, if we could do that, we would have done it a long time ago. So, but the good news is God can't change our minds. God can't change the way we think. He can and he does. But it does not happen until we open up our heart to what God wants. And exchange our will for God's will. I, I want to challenge you this week. I, 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 put, put, I want to encourage you. I don't want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. This week in the morning, in the evening, pray this. God. Break my heart for what breaks yours. God, help me to fall in love with the things you love. God, change my mind about the things that are in my life that need to be changed. Those three sentences, pray them in the morning, pray them in the evening, and see what happens. But you better be ready for God to begin to change some things, and you better be ready to listen. I'm telling you, begin to change it. How you respond to sorrow, how you respond to conviction, it matters. It matters. We have to get to a place of true repentance. Repentance is a changed mind that leads to changed behavior. Third thing, repentance is a change in direction. In direction. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 14. If you, uh, I'm going to put it up on the screen. Verse uh, 6. Uh, Ezekiel is getting ready to have a sit-down with the elders of Israel. And God reveals to Ezekiel, these guys have got some sin in their heart. These guys have got some things going on. They're wanting me to do some things, but it cannot be done till it's dealt with. And so this is what God speaks to these elders of Israel through Ezekiel. Therefore, say to the people, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent, metanoia. About face, turn from your idols or renounce all your detestable practices. Let me say this. If there's a change in your mind, there has to be a change in your behavior. And more specifically, a change in life's direction for you. True repentance, true repentance always results in changed behavior. Always. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying it's overnight. But it's a, mad, it's a fact when, God, I repent. And then when you fall, you're allowing God to convict you. Oh, God, I, 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 I don't want to do that. Please change this about me. God, let me break my heart for what breaks yours. God, deal with me about this. Because true repentance always leads to a change behavior. And he, if it hasn't led to a change behavior, Maybe you've only been dealing with worldly sorrow instead of godly sorrow. Something else I find interesting about this word metanoia, it's actually a military term that they would use. Like if you had guys standing there in formation and you had a commander would say about face and they're in this direction, but when he made that command, they went to the opposite direction. Can I tell you, you want a lasting change. I didn't even say this at 9 a.m. You want lasting change? When, when it comes to repentance, you're going to have to get warring with some of the things in your life. You're going to have to get violent with some of the things in your life and declare, no, 
Now, this, this is, listen, we used to say this years ago, this is a battlefield. This is not a playground. It's a battlefield. And, it's, and you have to do an about face, and you have to make some drastic changes, things in your life. Uh, because the truth is, every person in this room has at least one thing that we need to physically, emotionally, spiritually do an about face and go in the other direction. Everybody in here. And you've got to make some drastic, some radical responses to it. What, what does that look like, Kelly? Well, for some of you, it may be your thought life. Maybe when everybody's going to bed, you find yourself going down to the computer or getting on the phone and looking at some things you know you should not be looking at. So a radical response is this. You need to download an app called uh, Covenant Eyes. You need to get men. You need to get you two or three brothers, women, some sisters. And say, hey, I've got this app. Will you download it? Because it's going to tell you every day my activity on the Internet. And I want you to hold me accountable. Because me getting changed and delivered from this is worth me being uncomfortable for a little bit. I'm telling you. For, for, for some others of you, you're going to have to call a doctor up. Somebody say, hey, listen, don't ever prescribe me this pill again. Because I can't be trusted with it and I'm an addict. That's radical. That's radical. For others, now it's about to get really heavy. About to get to heavy. And I'm, there's one part I'm just going to speak to my Watts Bar people, but this is for everybody. Like me or not, don't hate the messenger. For some of you, you're in a relationship. And that relationship is causing you to make choices that you know are not right. Choices that are breaking the Father's heart. Choices that are building something between you and God. And you wonder why you can't get the intimacy. You wonder why you can't get the breakthrough. What does that look like for you? What, what does a radical response do for that look like? You know the relationship. For some of you, you need to get on your phone. And if you do it right now, you got my full permission. And get that number out, text them. Uh, they may not understand it. It's metanoia time. We're done. Then block that number. That's radical response. For some of you, let's go back to the pill. Some of the radical response to you, you need to go through your phone and completely erase some old contacts, block them, and get rid of some things. Oh, now it's about to get. If it wasn't uncomfortable enough, let's wait on. We're already out. Let's wait on out. I know culture says it's okay to live together. I know culture says it's okay to have sex. Boyfriend, girlfriend, I, it, it's okay to do that. That's what culture says. But when you true repent, it goes to, that may be what culture says, but what does God say? What is God saying? Because when it comes to it, I don't want to break his heart. I don't want anything to get between me and the intimacy of God. I want to know God better. I, you know what I told Denise, or no, I was talking to Casey about this, and I think Denise also. I said, here's what I think is going to be sad for a lot of people. They made it to heaven. Great. 
I mean, it is better than the alternative. But, but you know what's going to be there, hell? And for some of it, it's going to be yours. Is when you get up there and you see what your life could have been like. The impact you could have had. The people you could have made a difference in their life. When you see Jesus and you think, I couldn't say no. I couldn't metanoia and change directions. And this is a life I could have had. That's going to be hell. I mean, come on. A life of purpose. And some of you need to. Cut some things off. And because what has happened is as we develop and dive into cultural society, we grow numb to it. And where once God dealt with us about it, we got numb. I, you've heard me say this here before. Me and, me and conviction have a love-hate relationship. I don't like feeling convicted. Can we be honest? I don't like the sickness it gives me. But I hate even more how far I think I must have strayed from God if he's not convicted me about some things in my life. If that wasn't uncomfortable enough, let's wait on out a little further. <laughs> this is for people. You call Watts Bar Church your home. If this is not your home, you're visiting. Just enjoy this uh, little past, this shepherd sheep time. Um, some of you, you've been coming here a while, and you need to repent for all the taking, 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 sucking the life out, taking so that you've done, and never once thought about serving, never once thought about giving, never once thought about getting involved. You drop your kids off, have fun with them, and never once thought about what, what you could do. Thank you, babe. If you're, if you're not clapping, I'm just assuming God is just really kicking your tail right now. And I'm fine with that. Faith, faith, comes, faith comes, she says, hey. And I, I, I was like, do I want to say that? And I was like, yes. Should I say it, God? Yes, say it, Kelly. And she's like, um, do, you, do you want to see the, the financial report from 2019? Absolutely not. Why? Because I don't want to know things about people and then have an attitude with them. Because they're such sucky givers. Can we be honest? We pour, pour, pour. Is it okay if I be honest? Come on. I, that's the one thing about it. You don't have to know how I feel. I'm just going to tell you how I feel. And, and she's like, well, Pastor, there's just some people on there. I, I can't believe. This is in a year, this is what they gave? Say, I don't want to know. Do not want to know. I got enough people I'm dealing with trying to forgive right now. No. <laughs> and Faye didn't say this. I started to say that Faye said this because it had been really funny coming from her. But I was like, if, it, if, if you're trying to honor God with your tithing offering, and we're looking at what you gave over a year, you would be better going off going on welfare. I'm just going to let it sink in there. And some of you need to say, God, forgive me. 
I have not been faithful. You blessed me with the ability to work. You blessed me with the ability to do some things. And man, I, I, here's the thing. Your life, there are some areas in your life that will not change. And not only, they don't, not only include your finances, but other areas, they will not change until you surrender that part of your heart to God. Hmm. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I'm done. You can breathe a sigh of relief. I'll try to tell a joke that'll make you like me again. There has to be a change in our direction, though, guys. If not, we're just like the rest of the masses and just living with worldly sorrow if nothing is changing. There's a passage in Revelations 2. And there's one verse in this passage that is so haunting to me as a pastor and as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. It's God is speaking through John to these different churches. And he gets to the church at Ephesus. And here's what he says. Look at, look at this. It sounds good. He says, I know your deeds. Man, you're working hard. Hey, your perseverance. I know that you don't tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. I, I see it. Man, you're showing up at church. You have persevered, have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. God says, man, you're working hard. Showing up. Church as usual. That's the next verse that haunts me. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. He doesn't say, this is what I have against you. You quit serving as an usher or greeter. You quit serving as a, in the nursery. You quit giving even. Because here's my thing about that. A passionate relationship results in me wanting to give. He said, I have this against you. You've lost that first love, that passion. Come on, how many remember when you first started dating that husband or wife? You, you couldn't stay on the phone enough. You hang up. Oh, you hang up. You, no, no, no. Anybody ever fall asleep doing that? No, I'm not hanging up. Okay, one, two, three. I knew you weren't going to hang up. Why? You're pursuing them. You can't wait to talk to them. Can't wait to find out more about them. Men that you were dressing up, actually wearing cologne and deodorant. <laughs> Opening car doors. Ladies laugh. But that was a time when you didn't just wear baggy sweatpants. Oh, just notice that? The women were like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Hurts because it's true. No, let's go. But there was a time. You wanted to impress. You wanted to entice. You wanted to attract. What happens? You grow comfortable. I don't ever want me and this woman here to just exist in the same house. I don't want my grandparents had separate bedrooms, separate beds. I said never in my life. I did not get married to sleep separate. At 82, 80, 90 years old, I want to still be embarrassing my kids by about how affectionate I am with my wife. 
I want to keep that. And the same is my relationship with God. I don't want it to grow stale. I don't want, church, I don't want this for you. I don't want this for this, this house. I don't want it to ever be said that, hey, watch Bar Church. Didn't they used to be really passionate about God? Didn't they used to really uh, uh, minister to the community? Weren't they a church that they used to be a church for broken people? People were being healed. People were being delivered. You know, I heard a statement years ago at a conference, and it has just stuck with me in the gut. The, the question was asked, if your church just overnight was gone, would your community even notice for us listen I don't mind I don't mind us being talked about I don't mind us being ridiculed as long as we are pursuing this passionate walk as long as we are pursuing what we say we will do anything short of sin to win the loss as long as we are pursuing those things I don't care who talks about us see when Denise and I first pastored we, we wore our feelings on our sleeve. So it, the select people would say this, man, and then I, we just figured out, you know, some people are just stupid. Uh, tell you, life is so much easier when you just, and that's why I'm, I'm praying, God, help me see people the way you see them. He does not see them as stupid, and he's helping me. Uh, but in reality, I said, you know what, God? We know you made us different. And we know people are going to think we're crazy but it's only because they can't see what we're seeing. I'm on time. Oh, I'm good on time. There's a story I heard Perry Noble tell years ago. And he said, I was sitting at this restaurant with with some friends. He said, and a few tables down, there was this little kid. He said, probably three or four years old. And we began to have this game where he would make faces at me and I would make stupid faces at him. And it's going back and forth. And there was a couple right here that's sitting between us. They only could see me. They couldn't see the little boy. So all they saw me doing was... And he said, I know they had to think that I was out of my mind. He said, you know why? Because they couldn't see what I see. And I'm okay with people thinking I'm out of my mind because they can't see what I see God seeing, what I hear God saying. I'm okay, church, for people ridiculing us simply because they can't see the heart that God has given us for people. I'm okay with being accused of different things because if that's what it takes, listen, we're in good company. We're in good company, but I do not want it to ever to be say, said that we are a safe church, a passionless church. I mean, if anything, I want to, man, that's a dangerous place to go to. Absolutely. You go there and you will change. Something will change. I won't stop that. And he says, here's what I have against you, God says. You've abandoned the passionate love you had for me for something else. You left your first love for that career. You left your first love for that hobby. You left your first love for that relationship. And he goes on. Think about how far you've fallen. Repent. Metanoia. 
about face. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. The Bible, come on up. Here's what scared me, church. God is talking to the people that were passionate about him at one time. But life, they, they got comfortable. They, got, they let it get familiar. Let's not ever get comfortable. Let's, let's not ever undervalue what we have here. Let's close with this. The fourth thing you need to understand about repentance. Repentance restores relationship. You know the gospel is about relationship, right? It's not about rules. It's about relationship. The gospel is. Well, one of the most well-known stories in the gospel about a relationship is a father-son relationship. In fact, most people have heard this story, whether you grew up in church or not. And this story covers everything that we've pretty much talked about here today. So if you're hearing it for the first time or you've heard it over and over, I'm asking you, let your guard down for the next couple minutes. And ask God to speak to you. The basics of the story of this. The son come to, comes to his father. says, Father, I want my share of my inheritance. I know you're not dead. But basically, you're dead to me. So give me what's mine. Father ends up giving the son the inheritance. The, the Bible talks about the son going off. He goes wild. He's got money. So he's got friends. Come on. He's partying every night. He's hitting up the clubs. He's doing whatever he wants. In my opinion, what is happening is this kid is trying to fill some void. He's trying to feel like somebody, like he's important. I wonder if there's some of you here that way today. Maybe you go out night after night trying to feel some inadequacy inside of you. Trying to drown it with a pill. Trying to drown it with alcohol. I wonder if there's some in here that you go out and you have sex. You go out and have a one night stand. Because for a moment it makes you feel loved and wanted. The problem with those things is. The next morning. When you feel more and more empty than you did the night before. fun for a while but the next morning is worse son runs out of money so guess what he runs out of friends the Bible says that the son finds himself passed out lying face down in a pig pen and this is where we see the beginning of repentance in this kid's life check it out what, what's everything we've talked about? The, the change of mind, the change of behavior, the change of direction. Watch it play out here. Luke 15, starting with verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, what's happening? Happening a change of mind. Things are changing up here. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. I will set out and do what? Go back to my father. I will set out. I will metanoia. This is the path I've been going on to destruction. I'm going to turn around. Head back to the father's house. I'll go back. 
to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And look, so he got up and went to his father. He got up, started the journey back. That's where some of you are today. God's breaking your heart. God's been dealing with some of you during this thing. The problem is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to settle for worldly sorrow? Are you going to allow godly sorrow to lead you to repentance that leads to a life of no regrets? Son makes the about face, starts down the same path. Can, can you imagine what's going on in the son's mind as he's walking? I mean, you kind of heard it, man. I mean, you, you read that. He has no, no speculation that his father is going to take him back. Just hire me as a servant. Just here, here's what I'm going to say to dad. Here's, here, here's what I'm going to say to him. I'm not worthy to be your son. Uh, j- just hire me as a, as a servant. And why wouldn't he think this is going to be? Come on. How many have kids? How many ever looked at your kid and says, I can't even right now? <laughs> How many ever said this? I can't even look at you right now. We've said those things. So why wouldn't the kid think his father's response is going to, after what he did to him, is going to be that? But here's the thing. Our God is so much bigger than us. Our God's ways are so much higher than our ways. Our God's heart is so much bigger than our heart. And I I love this. The son goes home, and the Bible says one of the most incredible things in all of Scripture. Check this out. So he got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does that say to me? I think that father from day one when his son headed down that road, his father every morning on the porch. No, that's not him. It's not the way he walks. I don't know. Maybe today is going to be the day that he has a change of mind, a change of direction. Maybe today he comes home to Father. And see, he's standing out there one day, and when the boy was a long way off, it says, the Father saw him. This is something to somebody here today. You may feel like you're a hundred million miles away. God says, I see you. I see you. And I love this. The rest of it says, it says, he was, Father was filled with compassion and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's what our father does. It doesn't take, we don't, once we make the decision to turn around, we don't have to run to him. Once we turn around, God in an all-out sprint begins to run toward us and say, I have been waiting. Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. Let's throw a party. Mm. See, what you understand, this story isn't about some fictitious father, fictitious son. This story's about us. You're the son. You're the son. And the father is just waiting. Not You don't have to make all these steps back to it. No, just one turn. 
Repentance restores relationship. Can I be honest? I've done some stupid things in my life. I made some terrible choices in my life. Even as a Christian, I'll take it a step further, even as a pastor. I, I've struggled with things over and over. I've fallen over and over. I've made mistakes. But here's what I found. A lot of times it was only with godly sorrow. And I was more upset at the consequences than the fact that I broke the Father's heart. And it took me getting to a place where I was like, God, I'm weak. I'm weak. I can't do this. And I tell you, that's where true strength lies. Is when you finally admit, I am weak. I am powerless. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, I'm going to boast all the more about my weakness. Because that's where Christ's power rests. Listen to me. If we will be willing to allow God to do some heart surgery on us today, even in the middle of our sin, God can do the impossible. Stand with me across this room. The altar, Father's heart is open wide. Forgiveness is waiting 